Hello from Austin. Welcome to episode 134 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. Baseball season is officially over. <laughs> Have the Mets been eliminated? No, but I, I think morally and morally, spiritually. Morally I mean, the, 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 you know, they, had took, they took two out of three from the Phillies over the weekend. Um, they took the first game from the Nationals. Then they, had, they, 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 put, they, were, they took a 5-4 lead to the ninth inning last night, scored five runs in the top of the ninth. And you're like, yes, you know, we're going to sweep the Nationals. We're going to be right back in this thing. And then the Nationals scored seven runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Ouch. Capped by a walk-off three-run homer. And I was like, unsubscribe. <laughs> hey, it's time for you to maybe subscribe over to the Astros. They're looking pretty good. The Astros are looking pretty good. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know me and my sports allegiances. No, no. I mean, I, it's wonderful how, how true you are to them. It's something. It's good. Well, we'll talk more about sports in our Frivaldi segment. Because we have, we have a sports ball preview. Sports ball. The, the uh, oblong Profe- kind. Professional football edition. Professional edition. And, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, LSU versus UT coming up this weekend. Um, so that'll come later. In between, we have actual national security and law to discuss. Sort of. Uh, it's, a, it's a roundup of different topics, a little bit about a lot of things. First, we're going to talk once again about domestic terrorism. In this case, we're going we're gonna to touch base with an idea that's floating around about designating certain domestic groups as terrorist organizations. And through that lens, we're going to also talk more generally about uh, some of the politics of the larger debate here. And uh, we'll try to keep focused on the law, but the politics are, are looming kind of large. Uh, separately, we'll talk about the fact that at the military commissions, we have a trial date for... Say what? We have a theoretical trial date say. for the 9-11 trial itself. Um, spoiler alert, it's not real soon. Um, it's, also, it's also an interesting choice of date. The, uh, the actual date, we'll, um, we'll, which we'll, we'll save, talk about. We'll save it. Yeah, we'll save um, it. We will take note of a uh, renewed occasion to talk about presidential decisions to declassify uh, information, in this case inspired by the uh, infamous spy satellite photo retweet and or or tweet. uh, uh, Let's get this right. A picture of a photo that then got tweeted. And um, we'll, we'll wrestle with that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about the latest developments trending towards a possible peace deal with the Taliban. And there's air quotes there. And, and, and the awkward role or lack thereof of the national security advisor in this conversation. Always interesting. Yes. Um, not necessarily a good or a bad thing. We'll note it. And we'll talk about what some of the implications legally might be. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. Oh, goody. And then we'll do All of this has happened before. All, All of this will, will happen, happen again. again. The wheel turns. Um, we will talk about national security division activities Two cases in particular I want to flag, both involving uh, charges. One's involving a new arrest, one's involving an old arrest. And uh, then we'll get to our frivolity, and we'll do it all in record time, no doubt. Um, so if, so four and a half wins for the New York Giants, over under? Over. Wow. Wow. That's the, that's the, um, I, I've got, it, it, it has a lot to do, I think, with uh, quarterback play. Obviously, and uh, whether, <laughs> which, which one, and, and how soon? How soon they make the change? Indeed. Um, um, okay, that's a, that's a more interesting betting line. Right, like week seven, over under for Daniel Jones as the starting. So quarterback. I actually think Daniel Jones could turn out to be quite good. I think. Every time we talk about Daniel Jones, I think of like Davy Jones. Davy Jones. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> nice, unplanned. Um, my kids were making me watch the Brady Bunch movie where uh, Davy Jones makes an appearance that's ah. pretty... Have you seen the Brady Bench movie? I have. Uh, pretty funny when he but shows up at the not, high school. Not just the Brady Bunch movie, a very Brady sequel. A very Brady sequel, too. Absolutely. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, let's come back to that. The, the, wait, is there a title for us in there? Some A very Brady podcast? A very Brady podcast. A, I mean, there's another... Right Brady, now, it's... There, there might be another Brady who makes an appearance at the end of the show today. There's a good chance of that, right? right. In, in, in it NFL could be preview. a very Brady podcast. A very Brady podcast. Flatic, flatic, flatic. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Mar- there's something about Marcia. Yeah, yeah. And I don't just mean my assistant. <laughs> um, although, although I should say, because she doesn't listen to this podcast, but my faculty assistant, Marcia Moyer, is awesome. Yes, she is. But my faculty assistant, Trish Doe, is also awesome. Yeah, Marcia and Trish, might, you know, that would be an interesting competition for who is the most awesomest faculty assistant. Are you assistant. contemplating like a Battle of the Network Stars kind of faculty <laughs> assistant competition? Like, okay, who can, who can create a seating chart fastest? Go! Who can put up with Steve the easiest? 
Hey! <laughs> wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. I, 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 I feel the need to defend my honor here. You should. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, you are, you as an associate dean, I think, have a very good feel for the relative um, pain in the ass meter for our faculty. Oh, no, you're way down the list. I was going to say, I mean, come on, dude. Like, I am not. I, I didn't say it was a hard challenge. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I will grant you that, that if we lay the faculty out on a spectrum, like, Physically made everyone high maintenance up. to low maintenance. You're definitely not on the the. I'm below the median, end. don't you think? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. just you know, I mean, I'm not no maintenance. <laughs> like you know, I, I I like some things to be done correctly, but you know, yeah. low maintenance is you know you, you got to try. As opposed to when Harry met Sally, right? You're the worst kind, right? Lo- high, you're maintenance, high maintenance, but you think, but you think you're, you're low maintenance. maintenance. Um, <laughs> that describes a lot of faculty. Oh my gosh! I'm sure it describes us. Yeah, you know, again. We wouldn't know by definition, would we? I mean, we would not know. That is true. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, turning to uh, domestic terrorism. Yeah, okay. So on domestic this terrorism, is more fun. it is more fun. Yeah, you know, one day we're just like, people are going to be listening and suffering through the, the sort of the pre frivolity and discovering that at a certain point we're just like, well, that'll about wrap the show up and there will be no actual substantive content. That would be great. <laughs> Actually, that'd be a great sign. A, a substance free episode. Maybe that's it. That'll be a sign that the country's uh, doing well. Oh my gosh. Well, that right now nice. we've got domestic terrorism to talk about. It's deadly serious. And uh, we've talked previously on the show a fair amount about various bills that are floating around. We've noted but haven't really gone into detail on, on the difference between the following types of bills. On one hand, the types of bills that may well be a good idea, there's room for debate on this, about uh, creating a domestic crime, a federal domestic crime of terrorism, or for that matter, a state domestic crime of terrorism, something we're thinking about here in Texas. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to this, but relatively speaking, what we're really talking about is uh, largely duplicative criminal liability in the sense that there would be available charges anyways, and it's more about the symbolism and the resources and the... Uh, the uh, leveling out of the playing field between the symbolism of using the terrorism label through charges for foreign terrorist and international terrorism scenarios, yet not doing it domestically, and that creating a sense of, of imbalance of priorities, especially in current times. Um, so that's, that's one category, just making a new violent crime offense. It's, it's a very, very different thing to propose creating an organizational designation process domestically that would parallel the foreign terrorist organization designation process uh, that we've got for for foreign organizations. Uh, The things that hinge on this when you create such a designation process, in practical terms, what does it really mean? Um, at At the foreign terrorist organization level that we've already got, it means you're attaching sweeping embargo style liability to the provision of any form of so-called, quote, material support or resources, which in practical terms means giving any kind of tangible or intangible aid to the organization, knowing the identity of the organization receiving it, and knowing either that it's been designated or that it engages in the sorts of activities that would support a designation. In other words, that it engages in terrorism. That's how it works in the federal level. Um, That is a sweepingly broad basis for prosecution, and it's got great utility both for weakening these organizations by limiting their ability to extract uh, financial, other valuable resources, uh, tangible things, personnel, et cetera, and most importantly, but often neglected, it also provides prosecutors with a really handy preventive charging option in cases in which they've got a potentially dangerous or person or a person they believe is dangerous, either has been or will be involved in violence, they think, um, but they can't bring an attempt or conspiracy charge for the violent act that occurred or, or a completed violence charge, um, yet they still want some charge to prosecute them. Material support charges are routinely used in that case. we got an example coming up in today's National Security Division Roundup. Um, we live with this since 1996. We live with this arrangement in the foreign organization context uh, precisely because it's not applicable to domestic organizations. It has really big implications for freedom of association and free speech. And even if the lines are drawn exquisitely carefully to sort of stay just within those bounds, which which can be done under United States versus scales, there's a way to do it. It's compatible with first and fifth and well, First and Fifth Amendment uh, considerations, um, it opens up a huge can of worms in terms of empowering the executive branch 
under whichever party might happen to be in power at the time that the authority exists. And, and everyone should remember, it will not always be whichever party or perspective you prefer. It will eventually, sooner or later, be someone you really don't like or trust. Uh, I includes, don't know that feeling at all. You don't need, Steve cannot relate. I, n- none of us can relate. Um, it, uh, it is something that's going to open this huge can of worms in terms of the selectivity within which the whatever decision-making organization, whether it's the State Department for foreign organizations, presumably the Justice Department itself, which is kind of weird for domestic organizations, um, you're, you're inviting that into our domestic politics in a way that is potential, the potential for abuse looms so much larger than, even than it does at the, the foreign level. I support the foreign arrangement. I don't support the idea of doing this domestically. We do not want to open that can of worms. So should we talk a bit about the uh, Senate Resolution 279? Is that the uh, is that the resolution that is doesn't call for creating such a regime, but rather seems to sort of assume that somehow it already exists, even though it doesn't? So this is a resolution that was introduced by Senator Cassidy and our Senator Ted Cruz, um, and it's call it calls for the designation of Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. Um, so, so first thing is. Th- as I just emphasized, we don't actually have an arrangement. Right. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. That's not a thing <laughs> yet. Um, I mean, so first of all, I'm not even sure what, that they know what they're talking. When, when they say Antifa, I don't even know what they if they know what they mean. But leaving that aside, it's not actually. I mean, the the operative language, right? Resolved that the Senate. Um, calls for the groups and organizations across the country who act under the banner of Antifa to be designated as domestic terrorist organizations. There's no, I mean, designated by whom, pursuant to what criteria, and with what consequences. Like, this is just like, you know, tilting at windmills. So this this is a, a symbolic resolution, but what it portends is the possibility that someone might propose an actual statute to create a mechanism that could then do this sort of thing. And of course, it doesn't have to be a delegation based arrangement, these embargo-like provisions. Right. Congress could just name the groups. Exactly. Now, that's in, raises an interesting question. In doing so, is that a, a is bill that of a tender? tender? So the, there's, it's, it's tricky, um, right? There's a, there's case law on this about group attainders for groups versus attainders for individuals, right? We talked about this a bit before. Yeah. Um, the short version is it depends on what the consequences are. Um, right, that that the you can't Congress can't decree punishment, um, but punishment for the purposes of attainder is actually defined more narrowly than you might think. So yeah. you know, I it's a concern, but it's a concern that you could draft around. Yep. And so the the way to think about this is that the effect of ha- if it's if it's parallel to the foreign terrorist organization material support regime, the point and effect of creating a domestic designation regime, if done in parallel is to proscribe those organizations. Those organizations cannot function because right. you can't provide yourself as a member under its direct direction and control. You can't give it money. You can't give it expertise. You can't give it resources of any kind. You can't provide it services. And suffice to say, I think, I think we would both be a little nervous about Congress taking that step without you know being very, very careful to build in a whole bunch of checks and balances. So we, the closest we've come, uh, we've, we've tried various things like this in the past. The Smith Act during yep. the Cold War yep. is is the closest parallel where organizations like the Communist Party of the United States that were thought to advocate or said to advocate the violent overthrow and the illegal overthrow of the U.S. government were prescribed. You couldn't be a member. You could prosecute people, and people were prosecuted for being active members of these organizations. And the Supreme Court said that as long as the active membership prong is interpreted with real teeth, it wasn't just nominal expressive affiliation, but you actually were under the direction and control of the group, that was constitutional if drawn narrowly in that way. Um, so it's not that it couldn't be done. It's, it's a question whether it should be done and whether we want to live in a society that now adds this tool to the toolkit. Again, bearing in mind that if you, if you do it for Antifa, then flip the script around and just fill out the list of organizations of, of opposite inclination. Now, one might say, look, anybody... Anybody, any group, if we stipulate that there are groups that do uh, embrace the idea of using violence, and there are, there are people in society that, that embrace the idea of using violence, whatever we decide to, uh, their organizational bounds are, we can find some. Uh, you might say, you know, screw those guys. Let's, let's prescribe it. Political vi- advocating violence is advocating violence, and you should prescribe the organizations that do it. Um, I have some sympathy, but I don't have enough faith that we can control the boundaries of this such that it's perceived even vaguely broadly as being evenly applied. Um, I worry that it will spark more political division and unrest and that it's solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved, that the that the uh, it's not worth the candle, in, as it were. I, I think that's right. Okay. Um, one thing I do think is interesting that spills out of this debate that's a related issue um, 
for those who are focused on this possibility, the creation of such a regime, the creation of such statutes, and the investigative encouragements and jurisdiction that would convey, there, there, I've it's come to my attention from talking to some journalists that there are those who look at the whole domestic terrorism debate through the lens of the possibility that the Trump administration wants to drive in this direction so that it can do things it shouldn't do against political opponents, that, it, that it's all basically cover for suppressing um, the, the outer boundaries of the political left. That was really, it was a bit of a revelation to me insofar as I've been very focused on sort of in the aftermath of El Paso here and some of the work we've done uh, at the state level in Texas, very focused on the idea that the drive for domestic terrorism legislation is about dealing with far-right extremists and dealing with racist, uh, violent racists, et cetera. Um, and of course, I think the right answer is, well, it depends on who's doing the advocating mm-hmm. and that there are some people who are coming at it from both directions. Um, but I was, I was a little surprised to myself not to, antici- to have anticipated that the domestic terrorism debate immediately is going to be seen as attractive if it goes one direction, but terrifying if it goes another, and that people on both ends of the spectrum are having mirror image reactions of exactly that kind. I think that is that is evidence that this is a somewhat uh, tricky area that we further evidence we don't want to open this can of worms. I guess. I mean, I think that's all right, and I, I just you know, I think it's it's you know. It's a it's a solution in search of a I mean it's a solution it, it's it's a it's a solution in search of a different problem than the one that we are confronting. Now let me ask you a question that Ooh. someone asked me. Forty two. That is the right answer. No, this was this was a very interesting question I hadn't really focused on before. So uh, a journalist was talking with me about some of the pending bills, not on designating terrorist groups, but on creating a federal violent crime of domestic terrorism, which is a much less controversial idea, though it has its detractors. And, and this person was saying, well, you know, looking closely at the elements, one of the key elements, the part that makes it terrorism is the part where the person who engages in the violent act is intending to coerce a government or to terrorize a civilian population. And we're, we're both used to seeing language like that. Um, and the person pressed me on the question of like, what exactly will the boundaries be of civilian population? Like how broad does it have to be? Like if, you, if your only intent is to use violence to terrorize one person yeah. – versus trying to terrorize an entire state or city or country, where on the boundaries in there does it cease to be the civilian or a civilian population? I think when you have a specific target, it's not the same thing, right? As opposed to anyone who happens to be living in this part of town or anyone who happens to be in this store on this day, right? And so, you know, I would actually draw a distinction between, you know, the terrible shooting over the weekend between Odessa and Midland, right, for example, which does not appear to have been a targeted episode. Well, you mean comparing that to El Paso? Exactly. Right. So El Paso was trying to terrorize Hispanics generally, uh, the Latino, Latina population. And, and even more specifically, the, the people who were shopping in Walmart at the time that the shooter walked in and opened fire, right, as opposed to, you know, this sort of um, reaction reaction to the traffic stop, right? In that 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 led to the shootings in Midland and between Midland and. Oh, so I hadn't heard anything actually yet about what the motive was. Is is the current theory that this is somebody? I think they'd gotten fired from their job. Gotten fired from his job. You know, he had he had apparently like informed local authorities that like he was you know something was going on. So this is more of a, uh, a a more traditional rampage as opposed to as opposed to so politically or ideologically I th- motivated. That's at least I mean you know who I who I don't know that we don't have to say for sure, yeah. but that's at least what the initial reports make it seem like. And that's, to me, Bobby, those sit differently, right, from the perspective of domestic terrorism. Yeah, no, it gets, but it does sort of highlight that there is a difficult line drawing yep. problem here as yep. to which types of violence, especially bearing in mind that very often the people involved in doing this it, in some way or fashion are going to be mentally ill and might have some, some complicated ideas about motivations from their own internal perspective. Um, so the, the, the reason this had come up in the conversation, the, the journalist was pressing me on this question of whether uh, some one thuggish person who, you know, beats up, uh, uh, you know, so you've got some a person who's upset that a right wing group is marching in town and they set off to say, like, we're going to go beat up somebody to show these guys they shouldn't come into our town. If they do, if they go and beat up one person to send a larger message to the sort of some racist group that's doing a parade or something like that. And they're trying to, they're trying to use fear, using violence to create fear to send a message to that group. Does that one physical assault constitute an act of domestic terrorism? It uh, certainly could, I think, depending on how the statute's drawn. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's got that element of, it, you know, start with the action, the violence, 
you add the mens rea, the intent to create fear towards some particular end, um, perhaps add in some element where it's not just done for pecuniary gain or something like that. And then you may have a small scale situation, depending on the type of violence, where it seems perhaps a far cry from setting off a, a bomb. But nonetheless, you're talking about the purposeful introduction of political yep. violence in yep. your community, which is the thing to be avoided. The line wrong is going to be really tricky if we ever get there. All right. Speaking of things we may or may not ever get to. Brexit. I, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Although there is Brexit news. Yeah, well, let's. All right. You want, the I segue know, you, is too you, good. You I don't want, want to the lose it. For the we have right, a military fine. commission trial But then I want to talk about Brexit for a minute. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So you teased this earlier. What is the date? January 11th, 2021. So tell, talk to me about the date and its significance. So the you. second I saw this, I was like, is that like an accident or did they do that on purpose? Because January 11th is the day in 2002 on which the detention facility at Guantanamo opened. <laughs> I did not. I, I, I know that date now that you tell me. I hadn't spotted that. That doesn't sound to me like a likely causal factor. But yeah, and yet, right, like, you know, the symbolism of that, like, hey, uh, how should we celebrate the 19th anniversary of this detention camp? Let's have a trial that we've been waiting years to have. Well, so on one hand, I think they weren't thinking those lines. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, maybe it's fitting to finally, you know, delayed, yes, obviously, but like, if you're going to still be there, can we not have the 9-11 trial, please? Of course. I just c- c- color me skeptical that that's going to hold. Yes, I agree with you there, right? So what are we talking about? We're talking about, you know, a year and a third away from now. And today's what? September 4th. So we're talking about, right, we're talking about 16 months. Right. It's a little tempting to disparage it. And so, yeah, you're, you're in a, yeah, you're in a third. I had it right. You did? Um had to do a little math there in my head. I was told there would be no math. <laughs> that So a year and a third, it's very reasonable if, you know, it was relatively recent that we began this process. It's cuckoo crazy banana cakes. That were decadent. That that, yes. Um, and, and I agree with you, though, that I actually don't think that'll hold. I think that, you know, smart money says that ain't when the uh, trial process and, and just to be more specific about this, I think the principal reason why it will not hold is because I think that trial date assumes that pretrial proceedings continue without any hiccups from here straight through to January 2021 without, say, some kind of like crazy appeal to the CMCR and then to the D.C. Circuit without, say, you know, the possibility that something's going to get thrown out, that the government then tries to get back in. I mean, I think this is all just way ambitious in, you know, retro in, in compared to sort of the pace of things thus far. Right. That said, uh, it is nice to see actual talk of actually having the trial. It also, it also is a reminder that, you know, if in fact there's a new president in January 2021, this is going to be, you know, happening right on the eve of their inauguration. Oh, now that's interesting because you can, you can well imagine, actually, it's an interesting, uh, this is an interesting sort of uh, bar question. So say it is, who's the Democratic candidate most likely to be opposed to the military commissions? Bearing in mind that the Military Commissions Act of 2009 was an Obama administration product. So I don't think Joe Biden gets sworn into office and says, freeze and halt the (laughs) the 9-11 trial. Um, But I think the fact that it's the 9-11 trial and will have been underway for at least some number of days at that point, if the date holds, that's it's not obvious that any of the more likely right. democratic would, would, sort of, would, would sort of put the and obviously I'm assuming Trump obviously would not interfere with his own no no but like right that your first day in office you're going to stop this train right no now I, I that leads me to wonder right January 11th may not have been causal from the perspective of the anniversary right but the but uh, inauguration day might have been and right starting it before inauguration might actually it's be a very, lot do you agree it's a lot harder to stop this thing once they get underway if if the the new president. Yep. Uh, wants to stop it. Do you think any of the, no. the any of the ten? Either, so, would, so let me put it this way: I think I think there are a number of Democratic candidates who, in their heart of hearts, would prefer to stop this and transfer it back into civilian courts, right? But but as the thing on which they're going to spend a ton of political capital, their first that they're going to dump office, political capital right on that. Not no, a chance, right? No. no. Um, the, the the missed opportunity was in two thousand nine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's right. Um, okay, so so in other words, uh, it's not a question of of change of administration that might derail this. It'll just be the ongoing protracted nature of pretrial process might further delay it. Well, and and the unpredictability of you know whether anything's going to get thrown out and or whether there's going to be appeals and, and if so along yeah. what lines. Fascinating. Um, so you know, stay tuned. I guess. Okay. Now you you brought up Brexit. I did. So there was drama. So there's there's I love the drama. I have the to say, the drama's great. Like. 
there was a point yesterday when I was watching when the Commons voted to basically um, take control of the legislative agenda away from the Prime Minister. Right, yeah, that's that's um, good stuff. Right when there. when Nicholas Soames, who is you know just the grandson of Winston Bloody Churchill, was like booted out of the Tory party. Like I mean, th- there's something to me deeply noble um, about the crisis that the British government is experiencing right now because we're seeing folks who really are putting principle ahead of party. That's yeah, nice. There's there's a number of people who are clearly doing that. Now you know I, I don't. I, I, I don't know enough to know whether what which principles I agree with and which ones I don't. But oh my gosh, look what happens when politicians put their principles ahead of their party. It's amazing. It is, and you've got people who are saying like they're they're not going to stand for re-election, etc. Like wow, you actually don't have to just perpetuate your career. And and imagine that. I mean. It's almost like there's a lesson that could be learned by a particular political party in this country. Nah, I must be thinking of something else. Um, anyway, so the, the, the news this morning, um, well, I guess it's this afternoon over there, um, is that the MPs have now voted 329 to 300 to back a bill aimed at blocking a no-deal Brexit on October 31st. So, in other words, the backbenchers have taken over and the prime minister has no control. So he's going to, he may call an election. Although Labor has now come out and said they don't want that. And so it's and not he, clear. He can't call it without parliamentary approval. can't call it without parliamentary approval. it's been approval. too soon since the last one. And right? so if the, and the, what is it, it's the fixed parliaments, the fixed uh-huh. term parliament act. I don't know. The, I love the names of yeah, British yeah. statutes. Um, but, right, I, I thought my, my naive amateur understanding of British politics is that because of the sort of Tory concerns, he was going to need at least some support from Labour to call a snap election. Um, so we're headed for some kind so of... So this gets into some sort of wait out the clock where there's extensions, perhaps more extensions. I don't know. He's what, not going to negotiate a deal effectively, no. probably. So I, I, maybe there's a vote of no confidence coming and then you know there's an election of necessity. But, you know, okay. we, well, have a, we, we have a minority but, government. But bear this in mind, too. Corbyn wants out as well. Yeah. He just doesn't want it to be a, a, no, a no deal. deal. So Brexit. that's the thing, right? There, there are the three different camps. There's the no deal Brexit. There's the deal Brexit, and then there's the Remain. Right. And you don't have good party structures to map onto each of those positions, which is uh, why we're seeing this totally crazy sort of you know the the minority government, the backbenchers taking over, the sort of yeah. party defections, oh, right? Because because the principle because there are three different principle you know ends here but only t- but only two major parties and, and yes i know there are more than two political parties but two you know two dominant yeah, don't, two don't dominant the, parties. The, the lib dems out on the curb listen uh, in a minority government the small parties actually have a ton of power including the regional ones that's right yep well this so this goes back to i mean the thing that i you know i i've spent some time in scotland i've spent some time in ireland and in northern ireland and you know to me i the irony of all of this would be if the if you know the net result of Brexit right is to provoke Scottish independence and Irish reunification. Oh man, uh, I'm you know so to tie it back to our topic. Indeed, the part. Sorry, where, this is too much. Fun. No, no, no. The part where this connects. Order. The part where this connects deadly serious is of course with respect to Ireland and Northern Ireland, yep. um, and the suggestion that you know what might happen would be Irish unification. Or, of course, you know, the resumption of a hard border, if not, mm-hmm. either one of those possibilities strikes me as very, very likely to see a return of sustained large-scale political violence in Ireland. And that would be very, very sad. Agreed. Um, all right. Man, uh, it just brought me down. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, speaking of speaking of uh, uh, political political mishigash, we talked briefly about the, the DOD's announcement yesterday about the diversion of military construction funds. Okay, so this is something we knew was coming. We yep. did, this is about finding the out wall. details Build the of wall. where's the money going to come from and what's it going to be spent on, that sort of thing. Uh, anything novel or, or surprising to you? So I think as we might have expected, the, the, the proposal from DOD, which acting Secretary Esper mm-hmm. um, you know, articulated in this letter, um, is to take the first half of the money from overseas military construction projects right. um, and only the second half of the money from domestic construction projects. And I think you know, that's pretty transparently, I mean, about you know, the political consequences and trying to mitigate the political consequences. 
But the second half, I mean, if you look at some of the sort of domestic projects, you know, uh, I think Tim Kaine tweeted out like it's $10 million from the cyber facility at Joint Base Langley. I mean, you know, these are not just like fixing old schools. I mean, this is real money at the military. So one of two things is true. It's either real money that the military really needed or the military has been overinflating its right. you know, construction estimates for years. Well, and of course, you know, the Trump administration would say, well, no, these are all things that were good and valuable, but just not quite as good and valuable as Yeah, because who needs, who needs, you know, cybersecurity? Uh, that they would argue that this isn't dispositive on that front, no doubt. <sighs> anyway. Um, but I agree that, look, there's, we've been saying all along that when, when somebody's ox actually gets gored, that is, when money's taken out of a district or a function that's identifiable, that's when the, 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 opportunity cost of doing this becomes more concrete. And unless, when, unless they do democratic districts first. Well, it'll be very interesting. I, I assume somebody will go through and do the calculation. Where exactly is this falling? Which yeah. states, which districts, and what's the political valence of that pattern? All true. Uh, if, if that's not been done, somebody listening, please go do that. That'll get a lot of, that'll get a lot of attention. Um, all right. Uh, we also had some presidential activity on Twitter once again, this time uh, sharing a photograph. I guess he just took with his phone while he was getting his uh, his briefing, including um, sp- some National so Reconnaissance wait, first of all, Office work products. So first, it, it has to be his phone, right? Because everyone else's phones would not have been allowed in the skiff. I, you would you would hope and expect uh, this. We don't, I don't have any sense at all of like where this would have taken so, place. I mean, or, I mean, the, but I don't think anybody's doubting it's on. I mean, at some point it's on his phone. No, yeah, but that, but that, like, he actually took the picture himself, or that, like, Dan Scavino did. It, it seems unlikely to be anybody but him to have done it. Indeed. Uh, but either way, he decided to share it with the world. Yep. Um, and then, and then the sleuths figured out pretty quickly that the picture was almost certainly taken by this uh, uh, um, hitherto secret, at least with regard to its capabilities, spy satellite. So I. So I want to push back a little on that and say that it's no secret that that particular, I think it was a KH or Keyhole 11. No, no, I thought it was a more, I thought it was a different one. Whatever, whatever the platform is. So I think it was, um, whatever it was, I think it was, it was a known um, National Reconnaissance Office satellite that had a known trajectory. The way they were able to identify it to that satellite was because people know what particular angle and orbit it has at a certain point in time, and that it would have been above Iran and in a position to take that picture. And if we know that, and we know that uh, launch activity, of course, would be of interest, we could have assumed without the picture that indeed it would have taken that picture, could have taken that picture, probably did take the picture. So that leaves only the question of whether exposure of the picture reveals a degree of quality that people did not believe or understand, the people who matter, that is foreign intelligence services and foreign militaries. Does it reveal to them something that they didn't realize we had. And that, I don't know. And I'm a little doubtful that it actually surprised anybody. So, so it draws, it shines a spotlight, yes, but I doubt it I doubt it turned heads dramatically. So there are two different questions, right? The first question is whether the like Iranian intelligence service itself already had a sense and a feel for the capabilities of this NRO satellite, yeah. right? And so that's what I'm saying is like, I think probably they had roughly this idea already. I still think there's something, you know, problematic, but there, there, there's what you know and there's what you know, right? And I still think the sort of, you know, coming out and saying, look what we, look what we know, no. right? Like if the, if the question is, is it, is it proper for the commander in chief to uh, flaunt the capability that uh, sort of, in such a off-the-cuff, I felt like doing it sort of way to taunt the Iranians. Um, I think clearly, you know, you're not going to be surprised to hear that I think that's a terrible idea. Um, I don't think it actually burns capabilities. What I what I'm trying to get at, probably not, right? But that I, I'm so much sure that makes it that makes it kosher, right? Like a, a good yeah. thing. We should be celebrating. But in any event, there, we also come back to the thing we've talked about before with regard to the president's famous meeting with the Russian ambassador in the Oval Office about the president's declassification authority, right? Because right. a lot of people are like, hey, he can't do this. So he can. Um, I have written, I think, a piece that a piece that no one ever read about how I don't think it actually is quite as self-evident that the president can declassify by fiat, right? That is to say that simply taking a picture and tweeting it is therefore formally declassified. So, for example, would the government now turn around, Bobby, and say that that picture has been declassified? Yeah, right? official acknowledgement. I'm not sure the answer is yes. So, and, that, I'm sure, and by the right. way, I'm sure someone will FOIA that picture. 
Right, no doubt about it. And we'll it. see if the government invokes Exemption 1 on the ground that it's classified. And then say, well, wait a second. It's is it classified or isn't it? Like, yes, I completely agree. If the president says, I hereby declassify this picture. Right. He has the power to do that. So, so, so it's a question of do the formalities matter? Does he have to say the magic words? And I think the answer, I mean, let me put it this way. There's plenty of litigation in less politically fraught circumstances that has suggested that the answer is yes. That things, so you, you're well aware with the, the, you know, things that are in the public domain, right, are not declassified just because they're in the public domain. Right. 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 And so the, you know, I think it's not. Which as is clearly correct, I would argue, as to things that the gov that the president or whoever the classification authority is did not want in the public domain, didn't put in the public domain on well, purpose. But those two things are different, right? So, right. Ima so imagine didn't want versus put it there by accident, right? Like, you know. Right. So the spectrum is somebody else got it out there. Maliciously. That doesn't mean the government has to acknowledge it. Right. Um, there's accidentally. And so this happens in disclosure and yep. litigation. Yep. Uh, and then there's things like this that may not actually be intended as formal declassification, but somebody, and you see this more with a non, with unnamed government officials talking about classified activity on the record, but without, they're not being named. So, so it's that situation, but they're trying to put the information out there. So there's purposeful, unacknowledged uh -huh. disclosures. And then there's this, which I think probably the fairest, most likely explanation is just like, just sort of a, an impulse by the, yes. by the, the commander-in-chief. Yes, and, 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 and we are increasingly governed by the impulses of a crazy old white guy. Um, well, he is not who... Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of <laughs> pausing on your on the, the various adjectives you threw in there as crazy the relevant old white ones. guy. Uh, descriptively, seemingly quite correct. I'm not sure that the, the race element is, is the central problem Fair enough. with... Uh, All right, crazy old man. Yeah. Florida man. Yeah. Although I can almost hear listeners saying like, oh, but but his his attitudes on race. Well, yeah, but that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. I, right. I, 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 I revise and extend my remarks. There you go. There you go. All okay. Right. So we've got more. Um, they're, they're, we're talking about a peace deal with the Taliban and there's uncertainty about whether and to what extent that actually not. A, this is sort of shades of when President Obama said combat operations in Afghanistan are over. But of course, we still engage in combat operations there. Who knew? Now we're told that we're going to have a peace deal with the Taliban, but we're going to keep six days. 8,000 soldiers who are going to engage in counterterrorism missions against the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda in particular. Um, is this just going to be another round of reducing the political cost and reducing the financial cost for our footprint there, but not actually giving up the kinetic operations that are undergirding the claim that I we suspect. are... I suspect. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where we're heading. There's also the interesting palace intrigue. There's a Washington Post story. Um, about how apparently John Bolton, who's, you know, the National Security Advisor, has increasingly been sidelined from these, you know, conversations and discussions. Um, Which I don't know if for you whether you would find that negative or positive since the, the general book on this is that Trump's instincts are isolationist or neo-isolationist right. and Bolton's are interventionist and more neoconish. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I am not, listen, I'm not going to shed any tears at John Bolton not being involved in, in, in that kind of decision making. I do think it is... Yet further sort of symptoms, right? Of the of the you know this is this is a bureaucratically like from an org chart perspective, this is a very strange administration from a national security policy oh, standpoint. No question. But look, there's a lot of people say this is all actually by design that the that the, the sort of the Bannon-esque theory of yeah. the case is whether Trump fully understands he's doing this, he certainly acted consistently with it, is to actually blow up these institutions and yeah. assault the earth behind them. I, I think it's less by design and more just by like indifference and, and impulse. Yeah. But okay. Um, you want to do a quick uh, National Security Division update? Two cases to flag for us, my friends. Uh, one we've talked about before, Ruslan Asayanov, a Brooklyn resident and naturalized American citizen who's originally from Kazakhstan. It was already in custody. We had a criminal complaint in his case before. Now we've got an indictment. And the charges, as expected, all involve his efforts in 2013 and onward to go overseas to join the Islamic State, where he served, according to the charges, served uh, early on as a sniper and carried weapons, used weapons for the Islamic State, and then uh, rose through the ranks, became a, a weapons trainer, and eventually came into custody by SDF. They turned him over to the United States. He's back in the United States. He's now facing a slew of material support type charges. Um, none of them, and this illustrates something I was saying earlier about how you can use the material support charge as sort of a general purpose tool. When you have someone like this who's believed by the government to be uh, an active member of a terrorist organization, personally a dangerous person, 
But actually proving a particular violent act in the past or a conspiracy or attempt uh, to commit a violent act might prove beyond the reach of the available evidence. And, and that's probably the case here where they, they know what his role was. They can probably prove what his role was, but can't really prove any one particular action. Well, you don't have to because you can link up a bunch of material support type charges, receipt of military type training. Uh, they threw an obstruction of justice uh, for good measure. So you've got that case, Asanov. And then we also, a few days before that, had the arrest of Awais Chudhari, uh, a 19-year-old, another naturalized American citizen, this time from Pakistan, 19-year-old guy who, uh, this is a very scary one, uh, was was working, he thought, with a Confederate, but in fact, it was an undercover officer that in one way or fashion, he got linked up with online. And it became clear that what he wanted to do was to kill people in Queens. Specifically, he wanted to go to the pedestrian bridge over the Grand Central Parkway right by, by uh, Flushing, uh, Flushing Bay Promenade in World's Fair, uh, the World's Fair area. And he wanted either to stab people on the promenade and or at one point he talked about trying if he could figure out how to do an explosive device, drop explosive devices on vehicles. But it's the stabbing plot that started moving forward. He ordered uh, a tactical knife and some other gear. He was going to have a strap on his on, a, on his headgear and on his chest for cell phones to film the whole thing for the Islamic State. Um, and then when he went to go pick up the knife and some of those other items, he was arrested. So the placeholder charges are material support, but that's going to evolve into um, violent crime specific, uh, probably a material support under 2339A, uh, maybe some other things as well. Uh, scary, sad stuff. Good job by FBI and DOJ for Seriously? being on top of that. It's All almost right. like the FBI is a really important institution that we shouldn't be trying to destroy the credibility of, yeah, Mr. They, President. Turns out they are, they are useful. And uh, and also that the federal civilian criminal justice system is very effective at quickly bringing to book people like this and giving them the punishments they deserve. Who knew? That's a thing. That's a thing. Uh, do you think uh, Do you think that case will be completed before January 11th, 2021? I think it'll be completed before January 11th. Well, maybe not, <laughs> maybe, maybe not 20, but sometime yes. in 2020. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. I know. And, of course, you know, a bit of an unfair comparison. Like, this case is all lined yeah, up. They, were, but, they but, had the undercover officer. But, but, but the other one, 9-11, big, more complex trial with a heck of a head start. Yep. Um, let's talk about frivolity and end okay. on a high note. NFL preview. All right. Um, do you want to start at the top? Who's going to win it all? I don't want to say this, but like, I mean... Are you going to say Patriots? So, no, because I can't actually say that. So I am going to go out on a limb and say, this is the year, right? This is the year the Chiefs break through. Okay, so, so all right. This is, this is the year that the Chiefs go into Foxborough, you know, late in January in the AFC Championship game, and I don't know, Tom Brady gets hurt, right? And the Chiefs find a way to sort of pull it out. If the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, they win it all. Maybe Edge finally catches up with Tom Brady, doesn't have Gronkowski anymore. Um, and, you know, I, I really like that uh, Andy Reid sort of snuck, snuckily, sneakily picked up LaShawn McCoy right, last week. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, those guys work pretty well together. I, I like Andy Reid. Yeah, and they've got some tools. So, so no, I think I'll go with the Chiefs, but, but oi. Okay, how about a Chiefs-Saints Super Bowl? How fun would that be? I mean, I think it's entirely possible. So so this is what's weird to me, right? Which is that... You can like, almost hear the Eagles fans yelling. I mean, I think, the- I, I think at least on paper, like the two best teams in the NFL are both in the AFC. But then after that, it's like the NFC, 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 NFC. Like, there's a bunch of really good teams in the NFC. Could the Cowboys do it? No. Why not? Because they can't win a playoff game is it, that is, it, is that because of their coach, or is it because Dak Prescott's not all that great? Or I don't know. I, I don't know Zeke what I don't know what long? it is, but I'm very happy that the Cowboys just don't win big playoff games. Shame, but um, it is it is a descriptive truth. I don't agree with your normative case, but your descriptive right, so, case. So let's is go. Let's go division. By, let's go division by division. All right. All so right. I think the Patriots will walk away with the AFC East because you know they could play their B squad. Yeah. And win what else? The AFC who else is going to do it? <laughs> not the Jets. Um, all right. J-E-T-S. Um, I think the 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 division I'm going to love watching all year because it's not going to be the NFC East. Oy, um, is the AFC North because I really 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 want the Browns to do well. I can't get very. Ha- I, I can love watching and rooting against Baker Mayfield. Yeah. he's an exciting player, and I'm glad he's Odell in the NFL. Beckham. But I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to be excited to root for for Mayfield. And I just can't. That said, I, I like Cleveland as a franchise. Would like right. for them Cleveland, to finally Baltimore, be good again. Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Like they're going to be. You know, if, yeah, beating up be- on the Bengals and otherwise fighting with each other all year. Yeah, the NFC. Is it the, what did we say? The North Division. The North Division. No, yeah. no, no. That's the NFC. Isn't that the NFC North? 
I thought I thought that's like see- Detroit, Chicago, right? I don't know. Yeah, there, there's an analogy, but I think people use well, whatever. It's the black and blue division. It'll be fun totally. to watch. I think the South will be interesting. That which, you know, which the, South? Okay, so what? Wait. AFC. So oh. what do you think about the AFC South? It, is the worst division in the history no, of professional in, I football. Be good. They're gonna be interesting. Okay. The Texans have had horrible fortune on the running back, side. and yet they're still probably gonna walk away with that division because, like, what Jacoby Brissett is gonna make the Colts if, good. Well, that's the interesting question. It leads to the topic of Andrew Luck. Yeah. Uh, applaud, criticize. We can't judge. What do you? What's your view of his? Oh, I don't criticize. Oh no, no, no. What about the timing, though? Can't you criticize the timing? You know, I. I mean, I, they're pretty hosed, as you just said. Yes, but you know what? I mean, I, I do not. I do not try to assume that I can put myself in the position of someone who is literally destroying their body on a daily basis. But that makes it no fun to talk about any of their decisions. I know. You've got to do it a little bit. Like Jamel Hill wrote a piece that I thought that really I think spoke to me about how I felt about the Andrew Luck situation, which was just that, like, you know. This is, you know, all year, all all day, every day, all year, like his life has been football, right? And, you know, and he's tired of it. And he's lucky enough, unlike I think many of his teammates and, and fellow NFL players, to be in a position where he can walk away and be financially secure. I strong concur about retirement in the abstract. It's, to me, the only catch is why that moment. But I mean, that you far know, in, I mean, imagine, that's, imagine that's a, a devastating moment. I mean, imagine a scenario where he had tried really hard to rehab and where his, like, you know, his calf or his leg, whatever the problem was, just wasn't getting better. And he yeah. just, he tried and tried and it's like, I can't do it. And, and imagine the doctors come back and said, listen, you know, we're going to have to put you on the injured list. Right, we're gonna have to like you know, we're gonna yeah. have to now, six now, more the, months of rehab. If there is, by the way, that's this is our monthly emergency alert test at UT. Oh yeah, you can maybe hear in the background the loudspeakers yes. going once a month. Yes. So if if we add to the fact pattern that there was something he was trying to fight through, and it, and he reached the point where it was clear it just wasn't gonna happen right, or it was not gonna be something he was kind of he was making the effort. Yep. Then I'm totally they're coming for us, Bobby. Yeah, listen to that. Oh man. Uh, but, but I don't know that that was the deal here. And I think it might be more that he woke up that morning or he got to that point mm-hmm. where he's like, I keep trying to do this, but I should I should have quit before. I'm going to quit now. I'm not going to go through another season. I, just, I have a very strong and idiosyncratic and perhaps unpopular view about sports fans, which is that your teams don't, like, you know, the, the players don't work for you, right? Like the, you what? know. Um, like the cult fans who are demanding that their season that that they be refunded the cost. No, that's that, like, ridiculous. That's... You know, I mean, guys, come on. Like these are human beings. You know, and yes, we're paying them, but we're you know we're, that doesn't mean that like you know it's this is not dodgeball, right? You, you work for the bank, the bank works for me, so ipso facto, I'm your boss. All right, it's so not we, how this works. So we'll have to agree and disagree a little bit about the timing element right. of luck. Okay, but we agree. But we agree that Houston's going to win the AFC South, probably like eight and eight. Yeah, I hope so. I okay. really want them to. I like the franchise. So, so AFC North is a three-way toss-up. AFC South, probably Houston, but uh. Okay. uh AFC East, Patriots. AFC West, I like the Chargers. Do you? I do. Where, where are the Chiefs in that? Um, oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> I like the Chargers to, to, to finish second in the there AFC West <laughs> and, win, and get the wild card. All right. Point taken. Yeah, no, I, I always, there's, some, there's always been something about the AFC West. Yeah. As, as a kid on Sunday, yeah. those, the, the, the late the afternoon, late, the late window games. AFC yep. games. And There's, the Raiders actually might be entertaining the Broncos, this year. Broncos, Chiefs, Chargers, and Raiders. It's a great division. Yeah, you know, there's some teams like you're like, hey, the Jets are playing a team you like. Oh, yeah. um, there's something great about all those West teams, so, even, right, so, even though many of them aren't all that so, West. So the Chargers, to me, are the first wild card, and then whoever finishes second in the jumble in the AFC North is the second wild card. That's my, those are my, that's my AFC prediction. There you go. Okay, I can go with that. That sounds about right. All right, so the NFC. Um, I guess I have to say that the Eagles are probably going to win the NFC East, but I'm not going to enjoy yeah. any moment of it. So I think the the Cowboys actually might give them a serious run. Yeah, Cowboys I think the Cowboys. Team. The Cow- here's the whole deal, in my opinion. The defense, great defensive coordinator, incredible talent. The defense should be monstrous. Uh, the offense, great talent. I think Dak Prescott is only so good. I don't think he's great but i think it's good enough for them to win i don't think they should throw a huge contract at him i think they should find some other way to get but can you win a playoff game well and that's where it comes to the thing that i didn't emphasize and and the 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 receiving will be just good enough the line is great the coaching i don't have faith in jason garrett's coach and i don't have faith in the management at the senior jerry jones level uh his son stephen jones has done a great job i think uh, and deserves a lot of the credit for their recent success i think they could maybe win the division but they're going to 
flame out in the playoffs. Totally. I mean, or or sneak as a wild card. Yeah. All right. So so Eagles, Cowboys, and some combination. Yeah. Right. Uh, NFC South. I think we agree. The Saints. Saints. Go Saints. Um, they're probably the best team in the NFC, if not the NFL. I, I would love to see yet another great season out of Drew Brees. Yeah. Drew Brees. Um, uh, Austin Zone. Austin Zone. Westlake. Um, in the West, I mean, you know, I don't. I think the Rams will probably run away with it. Yeah, so the Rams are to me the big wild card. I can imagine them just not being as explosive because of the the continuing questions surrounding Todd Gurley and perhaps defensive schemes catching up with what the offense is doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, they got a lot of great ingredients, and they actually were ahead of schedule last year. They yep. weren't supposed to be this good this yet. So if there's actually still an upward trend, man, yeah. they could they could go all the way. And then the NFC North, I feel like, is the same as the AFC North. There's just a three-team jumble, right? The you know the Packers, the Vikings, the Bears. The Bears are probably marginally better. Yeah, but I don't think any of them are going to go very far. But I mean, one of them's got to win the division. Yeah. Uh, what about Kyler Murray in Arizona? Is he going to be? Obviously, he's got very little surrounding him. Yeah. But is he going to be a good pro? Yeah, I think he. I mean, if he stays healthy, I think he will. Um, I just, man, he. You know, teams are going to be able to like stack. You know, stack the box against him. Well, because they can spy on him and that's right. sign somebody yeah. who goes because there's just, nothing there's to just, There are him. no weapons. Like there, you know. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald. I love Larry Fitzgerald, yeah. but like, dude's about my age. Yeah, I think. <laughs> well, they can sign you. <laughs> All right, last thing, and then I've got to run. Giants too. Over under. No, no. Um, uh, UT versus LSU. So I was at the Louisiana Tech game Saturday night. And, you know, on paper, it looked really good. 45 to 14, you know, yeah. crushing. It was really, yeah, we crushed him and then he scored some late touchdowns. I really, I didn't, I thought there were some real weaknesses there. Like, I thought our passing game was not as strong as I would have expected, especially against an inferior secondary. We didn't really establish a dominant run game at all. We're so, when if, if people are not following this, UT's got their star running back, Keontae Ingram. Everybody else is hurt. Our third string, f- true freshman, Quarterback is now the backup running back, and the, and now they've got a linebacker they just shifted over to, to be the third string. And we gave up a ton of yards on defense. I mean, yes, we didn't give up a ton of points. We gave up a ton of yards to a not especially high-powered Louisiana Tech Bulldog offense. So, Although the quarterback was pretty good, i got to yeah, say. I'll, I'll just say I am, I am quite nervous um, about Saturday night here in Austin, um, LSU coming to town. I, I, you know, I, I hope we're going to win, but if I actually had to put money on the game, what, what's the spread right now? Uh, four, I think. I, I might, I might take LSU if the spread is four. See, I think not only will we cover, but we are going to win, and we're going to win in convincing fashion. Convincing th- fashion. Convincing fashion. I think like that, thirty-one to fourteen. No, no. I, I, okay, let me put some numbers on it. Thirty-eight, twenty-four. Wow. Two I think, touchdowns. I think that uh, I'm I, taking the under. I think Keontae Ingram's going to have a monster game. Uh-huh. I think that our receivers are unbelievable. I think that Sam Ellinger is going to be great, and he's going to have a monster game. And I think our defense is going to do well because I think LSU's uh, running game is is relatively suspect. They averaged three point seven against so listen, an inferior opponent. I, I carry. Ho- I hope week. you're right. I am just I you know I I I have learned to not get my hopes too high yeah. for for Texas football. It's going to be great atmosphere. College game day on campus. Going to go check it out. I know. I'm going to be in Milwaukee. Well, you're doing it wrong. I really am. And with that. Uh, Stay safe out there, everybody. Adios.